Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 338. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest today, Monica Sawyer. Monica, welcome to Positive Productivity. I'm so happy to finally have you on the show. Yay, thank you so much for having me, Kim. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a journey, right? But I'm so glad we're here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Listeners, you've heard me say it a thousand times before. You'll hear me say it a thousand times more. I didn't mean to rhyme there. Wow, that was a good Dr. Seuss. Positive productivity is not about (laughs) perfection. And I can't even remember why we've rescheduled at least once, but we'll just blame it on my kids. (laughs) I'm whispering because there's one in the room with me right now. Anyway, listeners, Monica is the blissful millionaire from blissfulinvestor.com. Monica, I would love if you would introduce yourself even better to the listeners because you know your story so much better than I do. Oh, okay. That's the very first time I have gotten onto a podcast and they say, introduce yourself. That's cool. (laughs) So I am the Blissful Millionaire, as Kim said. I um, have written the book, Choose Bliss, The Power and Practice of Joy and Contentment, and been honored to receive an award for that with the, it was called the Women of Impact Quill Award with the Focus on Women magazine. It was a nomination award. And so that was really, really an amazing. I've also been on television all over the country. I've been so excited about the message of bliss is being well received because it's so important for all of us to live a really blissful lives. And it really is possible. We're going to be talking about that today. I also am a millionaire through real estate. And so what I've decided to do is marry my two deepest passions, which are bringing bliss into the world and building wealth through real estate to bring you the blissful real estate investor formula. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. And yes, everybody does need bliss. I could use like a few magic bliss pills right now. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see if we can make that happen. Oh, please. Yes, definitely. How did you get on this journey? What brought you here? So, you know, there's two journeys that have kind of happened simultaneously. We'll start with the bliss one, and then we can talk a little later about the real estate journey. But the bliss journey, you know, I was born in a part of the country where I was the only non-white person in school. And I was tormented and humiliated and bullied constantly. So I grew up very scared and eventually became very, very depressed life seemed to kind of get worse. You know, when I became a teenager, the bullying got even worse. It sort of started to take the form of, you know, the things that horrible things that boys do to girls. And there was a point in my life where I wasn't sure how I was going to keep going. Because like I said, it just kept worse. And I had to make a decision whether I was going to continue my path on this planet or not. And fortunately, I made the decision to live. But thing is that, yes, I could decide to live. 
but I didn't want to keep living this way. And the prayer on that day to God was, you know, God, either have mercy and bring me home or teach me how to live. Wow. And all, yeah, almost like magic, uh, about an hour later, I got a, a call from a friend who hadn't been in touch in years. She called me and she turned me on to my coach, Ted, who basically saved my life. And what Ted really reminded me of was that, was first of all, who I am. He empowered me to really be who I was born to be. And this, he told me something that I really think applies to everybody. We are all born on this planet as tiny little bundles of joy, right? Isn't that what babies are? They're these little bundles of joy, don't you think? Yeah, let's just go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on the day in my house. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what's in my bloodstream today, but we're just going to go with that. <laughs> you know, they're just born like in awe and this excitement to be alive, you know? All the things they're going to learn and, and their eyes wide open. Well, not really, but you know what I mean? And and then we kind of learn about life and mm -hmm. what isn't possible and that joy may not be natural. And I think what Ted really helped me to realize is that joy is a huge priority for me and I was born that way and I can get back to there. And so tools that I had developed through my traumatic childhood, you know, because I had studied self-help just to get through things and through his tools, together we brought me back, made me the person that I feel I was born to be. And then eventually I became a coach with him, started becoming an executive coach. And the one thing that I found with all of these really rich people with the perfect houses, the multi-million dollar businesses, the perfect spouses, the beautiful kids, they weren't happy. And so their businesses, the reason they were seeing a coach is their businesses were starting to fall apart. Mm. Their marriages were falling apart. They didn't have relationships with their children. And it was all because they weren't happy. And so through my strategies and techniques that I taught them, they were able to bring bliss back into their lives. And then their businesses took off. Their passion was back. Their excitement for life was back. Their marriages came back together. You know, real magic happens when you're living in this place of bliss. So as a coach, I could only reach so many people. And so that's why my book was born is because I really wanted to make a larger impact in the world and make this accessible to so many people. And, and so Choose Bliss was born. So that's kind of the journey. Oh, I love that. And I have to apologize to you and listeners for my smart baby response. Yes, babies are beautiful. And they're so sweet. I've just had one of those challenging couple of days where the kids are doing everything that they probably shouldn't you know yeah we're all on a journey right yeah we are yeah but we come to this planet I believe and there are people that disagree with me but I believe we just come here in this state of awe yeah. and joy and excitement and you know we may not obviously we can't as babies define that mm -hmm. it's indefinable right but I'm defining that as bliss you know what I find unfortunate is that, you know, babies do come here with no preconceived notions. Everything is beautiful. But then through the, their upbringing and the adults that surround them, they are taught discrimination. They are taught that their skin color is better than somebody else's. 
Yes. And it's just so unfortunate. And I went through bullying in high school, too. I mean, I'm about as white as you could possibly get. But <laughs> being female, and I'm not just going to say it's being female, because I know men face their own harassment of sorts. But I had the same type of boy bullying. And I have made it clear to my boys that that is not going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, bullying is not about your skin color. And I say it because I know that that's what I was most tormented for, right? The beautiful nicknames that I had really, it was very, very clear that it was about my skin color. But yes, there are many, many, many people from every walk of life that get bullied. Mm -hmm. And it's just part of my story. But I think that it's really true that it teaches us, you know, for me, it taught me that nobody was ever going to like me, that I was alone in the world. Yeah. It taught me that I had to be tough and these walls to protect myself. It taught me to want to be a pleaser, that nobody was going to like me unless I danced a tap dance and bent myself into a pretzel, right? And choosing bliss is really about being who you truly are in the world and having the emotional strength to do that, to have emotional mastery, to be able to be who you are, have your emotions, allow yourself to love and tear down the walls and being strong enough to deal with all of those consequences, whether it's love back, it's rejection, it's fear, whatever it is. So let me define bliss really, really quickly. Is that okay? Oh, please. Yes. Okay, so I define bliss as a deep sense of joy and contentment and the confidence that I can handle and you can handle anything that comes your way. It's about emotional mastery and emotional resilience so that no matter what happens out there in the world, you always have this home base of bliss to come back to because this home base is inside you. Wow. So that's not saying that everything's under control. No, absolutely not. I think as humans, we have, well, I know as humans, we have this huge range of emotional capacity, right? All the Mm -hmm. way from absolute ecstasy to I want to die. Literally, I want to die, right? Yeah. And we go to all of those places. And the thing about being blissful is that you get to choose to have all of those experiences because you know that you've created a home base, I call it the bliss equilibrium, that you get to just keep coming back to. And because of the tools that I teach and the strategies that I teach, you get access to that bliss equilibrium much more easily. Don't stay depressed as long, right? If you're in ecstasy, you know that you can stay there and that you're not going to afraid when they're really, really happy that it's going to go away. But yeah, if it goes away, you get to just go back to bliss, right? So it's this place and that place also can be constantly evolved and improved. I don't think I'm as blissful today as I'm going to be next year. I just hope it's going to keep getting better. And I've got the tools to make that happen. Does that make sense? Oh, that absolutely makes sense. And I will share that sentiment exactly. I just want to keep on seeing it get better. I used to be of the mindset that things will be good when, you know, things Mm -hmm. will be good when I have more money in my account. Things will be good when I have more clients. Things will be good when, you know, this and that. Mm -hmm. But I went through my own discovery that things are good now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the thing with bliss is a lot of people think of it as a circumstantial 
emotion. So when I have this, when I have that, people have said to me, of course, you're blissful, Monica, you've got a beautiful husband, you're rich, you know, whatever it is. Yes, I am very, very, very lucky. But what I believe is that I have those things because I'm blissful. And they did not make me blissful. They certainly help. They amplify my bliss and they support it. But they're not the reason that I'm blissful. Um, and so this is what I tell my clients all the time. You know, we can't control what's going on out there in the world. We can't control what people do to us. You know, the only thing we have absolute control over is how we choose to respond. It is our choice. And we can choose to respond from a place of bliss. What do you see as being some of the biggest self-sabotaging tools that people use? Definitely all blissful when is Mm -hmm. the biggest one. The nail on the head on that is giving away their power to what's going on in the world, to an outside circumstance, you know, being at the mercy of other people's opinions and what other people are doing. Um, just not being in their own power and understanding that they have a choice. When I tell people that they have a choice, I get all sorts of stories back. Can I hear some of that? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. So people will say things like, like I got a story recently during the holidays. I had a client that said to me, Monica, you don't seem to understand. I have to go back and see my family because my mom is dying. Now, The thing is that he was estranged from a brother who had done horrible things to his family. He was very, very angry. His brother had never apologized. So he had not been going back to Christmas because of his brother. Now his mom's in the hospital and he feels he has to go back, which I agree with. So my thing to him was, do you really not have a choice? He's like, I don't have a choice. I have to go see my mom. And I said, so... You have a choice to choose the love of your mom over the anger of your brother. Wow. Wow. And what a different perspective, right? Right. In any situation, we may not think we have a choice, but we always have a choice about how we respond, how we think about it. After I left my ex-husband, I found myself in a text message battle on my cell phone. Until I realized that I didn't need to do that anymore. And I actually found an autoresponder for my phone. (laughs) And I set it up just for him. I think it said something like, my phone has received your message. And if and when I find appropriate, I will respond. And I had to tell you, it did wonders. He finally got the hint that I wasn't going to be responding to ridiculous texts. Right. And it's so interesting because in this world where we are always connected, often we think we have to respond to everything. You don't. You have control over what you respond to and how. Just because someone texts you does not mean that they deserve a response. Absolutely. (laughs) And you don't have to respond right away either. You know, you can say, okay, this deserves a response. Maybe it makes me angry. So don't push send. Don't do the text right now. Then you wait. You do a response that's going to serve both parties rather than just reacting. Right? Absolutely. I realized earlier today that my home phone, yes, people, I do still have a home phone because of (laughs) teenagers, you know. And 
Well, my home phone right here in my office was dead. Actually, it's still dead. I don't know what's going on with the charger. And my cell phone, the ringer was turned off. And I only noticed it after I realized that it had been amazingly, blissfully quiet while I was working. No interruptions. I wasn't checking my email. And I was choosing bliss in the lack of notifications. (laughs) It's so good. I actually create that now, right? You get that experience once. I've had similar experiences. Why hasn't my phone rung in two hours? And then like the joy of all that I accomplished in those two hours while I was not looking at my phone. Well, for me, it was in airplane mode. (laughs) Oops. But it really taught me a very valuable lesson. My littles have learned how to put my phone in airplane mode, and I didn't realize it. Wow. Yeah, but it's amazing those days. It's not necessarily always convenient, especially when I can't find it and I'm trying to call it to find out where it is. But it's amazingly quiet. Yeah. I was introduced to the law of attraction. Let me just back up for a second. In 2009, and it was an eye opener for me. Because up until that point, I was letting everybody and everything determine my happiness. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that I completely changed after that. There was still a lot of growth that had to go on. But just that one discovery alone changed my life. The realization that I had the power to make myself happy. Yes. Listeners, that's not saying that I'm happy all the time. There are days when little things will get under my skin. But for the most part, it's limited to kids. And, <laughs> and I can choose how to or to not respond. But I've learned to respond for the most part, usually not my kids. But when anything else is, you know, getting under my skin, I've learned to just keep my mouth shut. Because often in the heat of the moment, we can say things that we can't take back. Or we can give in to something that we don't want to do just because we feel the need to respond so quickly. Yeah. One of the things that people tell me or ask me all the time is, are you happy all the time? And you brought that up, Kim, because no, I'm not happy all the time. And I don't actually believe it's healthy to be happy all the time. Because then what you're doing is you're denying the resource of your emotions. Mm. You know, if we are in fear or we are in sadness or depression, Really examine what's brought that on. If we're in fear, you know, there's so much talk about how fear is the enemy. Like you have to get past your fear. Yes, you do in many cases, but fear also keeps us alive, right? So when we're in fear, looking at that and really, is it appropriate fear? Is it serving me and how? And do I want it to continue to me that way or do I want to get past that, right? And same with sadness. Why am I feeling this really deep sadness about this particular whatever it is? You know, is there something that I need to work on or do I just need to honor that sadness in this moment? And then, then when I'm ready, when I feel like I've honored enough, to go back to that place that I would much rather spend most of my time in, which is bliss, right? So emotions are not a bad thing. And having that full range of emotions is not a bad thing. It's just knowing and creating the ability to go back to an equilibrium that really serves you and creates the full life you want to live in most of the time. The negative emotions give us a lot of lessons. Bliss allows us to live fully, right? Right. Right. I want to 
touch upon something really quickly in, in that we're two women talking about this, but I have had plenty of men in my life who I have never seen cry. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I'm wondering, I'm just trying to figure out how to vocalize this. And I don't mean to stereotype men. I've seen my husband cry and when they don't display. I'm not saying they don't feel, but when they don't display the full range of emotions, would you say they're not experiencing them either? No, or am I just being really like stereotyping here? Not stereotyping, but generalizing. Yeah, no, I think everybody experiences emotions. I think it's healthier to display or express them. But I think the reality is that when you are displaying them, it may just may not look the same. So I think men who have become more expressive they still have a hard crying. It's kind of not, it's not societally what they've taught is how to express it. My husband, when he's really sad, he goes and works out. You know, Mm. it's sort of like getting himself physically into his body. He also has a mouth twitch that happens when he's really, really sad. So I see it displayed. Now he'll talk about it and express it. But you know, societally, that's not what they're taught. And so It's not, I think it's not fair. Just as like women, there's all these expectations about who we are. You know, men will say women break down crying and they're not as strong as we are. From my perspective, an ability to express emotions takes a lot of courage and strength because in our society, especially it's looked down upon, right? Mm -hmm. So men stereotype us, we stereotype them and there's never an intention of harm, but it's just kind of like, these are the guidelines that we operate on, right? Right. And However we learn to express it, as long as we do express it, that's the key. It doesn't need to look the same for both of us. Yeah, that is one of my pet peeves is when women are generalized as not being as strong as men. Yes, Mm -hmm. we do tend to show emotions more, Mm -hmm. but don't tell me I'm not as strong as any man. I mean, you know, I'm not out there doing pull-ups. I can't, you know, bench press how many pounds. (laughs) Right. the ability to do things that I've done, including, you know, give birth to children. Yeah. And I'm not saying that just giving birth to children has made me stronger, but I'd like to see some men try. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're strong in different ways. Right. Mm -hmm. So just as much, and, and I'm so glad we're having this conversation because just as much as we get stereotyped in women and have that, we do it right back at them. Yeah, we do. And they resent it. Like yeah. men are not as good in their hearts as we are. Right? And we're not as good in our or as strong in our bodies as they are necessarily. I mean, again, I'm just generalizing. Oh, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, we say those generalizations because it's a lot of our experience in life, right? Right. Like you said, I will never be able to lift the level of weights that my husband can. Ever, no matter how good shape I get into, maybe some women will, whatever. But it's all I'm saying is that we are as we are. And instead of stereotyping and judging and putting our own expectations on each other, part of being blissful is really allowing and accepting people to be their very best selves and to live in their strength rather than criticizing and judging them for the things that they're not quite as strong as as we are. Strong at as we are, you know? Love it. Definitely. And I know a lot of us get caught up in the fact that we set goals and 
I have to say, for just about every goal I've set, I can't say I've ever meant it. But that doesn't mean I'm not super happy with wherever I've gotten to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to let whether or not I met that goal to determine if I'm happy. And that's been a huge transition in my life. Mm-hmm. I still made progress. I still took action. I didn't yes. give up. So right. I'm still successful. And success to me does not look like a lot of money or, mm-hmm. you know, 10 gazillion. I'm just making up numbers here. <laughs> social media followers. That mm-hmm. That's like the least of my concern. Success to me is in my heart. What about you? What does success really look like to you? Yeah. Success to me is in my heart also. Success to me is really about being able to live my life on my terms. So I want to be able to be out there making the impact that I believe I was sent here to make. I want to be helping people. I want to be passionate every single day of my life. Um, I want to be living in my bliss most of the time. Um, And so, okay, so that's the sort of high level. What does success look like to me? Now, then there's the how of how I've achieved it what I've done to get here, right? And that's when we start to talk about real estate. For me, my ability to really shine in the world was going to be reliant on how safe and grounded I personally felt. And to me, having a foundation of wealth was that thing that allowed me to step most into my power. Because now... I'm not so worried about how to pay the bills. I'm not worried about when I'm going to having be having my basic needs met, right? My housing and my food and those sorts of things. I don't worry about any of that. I can instead spend my time and energy and passion on learning how to get the message out there of what's possible for people um, to shine in my own light and to become my very biggest, best possible self. Right. So, yeah, I would love if you would share how you transitioned from being in the dark place you were in to getting into real estate. Oh, yes. Okay. So the real estate story begins when I was three years old and my dad started investing in real estate. So they came to this country with only $200 in their pocket as newlyweds. And it heard that real estate was the golden ticket to wealth in the United States. And so I had grown up with real estate in my life. My dad, he saved money and bought investment properties and he paid for my education that way. He paid for the education of my sisters. So real estate has really served my family. The thing is that when I was in that dark place, right, I was probably in my early 20s, I was really overcome with fear in so many different areas of my life. And so even though I yearn for stability and security, and I even knew how to do that because I had had the experience living with my dad, there was a lot of fear in me about how to do this, right? And I remember I had this conversation. I had just graduated from college and I had a conversation with my dad. He was sitting across the table from me and I was telling about all my fears about money and being alone and, you know, all these things that college students new into the world go through. 
plus all the stuff about people didn't like me, I was going to be alone, how was I going to make it, you know, all of those things. My dad said something to me that night that completely changed my life. What he said to me was, everybody's afraid and everybody has money issues. Wow. Do you want poor people money issues or are you going to step through your fear and have rich people money issues? Wow. Yeah. And I mean, it completely took me aback. Like what a different perspective. And so I made some decisions that night that things were going to be different for me. And I was going to have rich people money issues, which meant there were things that I was going to have to do that was going to be really uncomfortable. There were things that I was going to have to deal with in my life that were going to be really uncomfortable. But you know what? Everybody has that. (laughs) Right? Everybody has that. Right. So it was part of the process, actually, for creating the stability, for creating the foundation for my bliss. Wow. What were a few of the first steps that you had to take that were really uncomfortable for you? Well, so the first thing, my husband and I, when I got married, my husband and I bought a house with $10,000 that we got as a wedding gift. And making those payments were really, really hard. It's scary to buy your first house, right? And we only put 5% down. So there wasn't a lot of equity. You know, I was very aware because I knew about real estate that that kind of leverage could be scary, right? So I was living in those, those days, I was really living in a place of fear. I, instead of looking at the opportunity, I was looking at what could happen to me, you know, so buying that first house together. Then when he and I decided to move to the next house, which was about four years later, the decision became, am I going to rent this out and start? dealing with the tenants and the toilets and all these things that I had seen my dad go through? Or am I just going to sell it and buy a new house and, and, you know, just have the appreciation on each of the houses as I move up, right? And I remembered what my dad said. And so I decided to rent out that other house. And then we bought the new residence that we were going to live in. And that was really fearful, getting my very first tenants, getting, you know, getting the place fixed up. There's all sorts of stuff here people go through when they are investing in real estate. And I went through those things. Am I going to get the right tenants? What if they stop paying rent? What if they wreck the house? You know, there's all of that. What if it doesn't appreciate? What if I can't make the, the mortgage? You know, all of those things, right? So I had to step through each of those in order to make the decision to rent it out and just allow the universe to serve me. And I created, and I know that sounds a little esoteric, but there has to be a level of faith in your decisions about what you're going to do in your life. And one of the things that I have always done and I teach all of my clients to do is always have a plan B. So for instance, based on my own strategies, I like people to look at a 10-year time frame. I do not recommend if you're looking for appreciation to buy a house and expect it to appreciate in two years and be able to sell out. It's happened, but there really is a 10-year cycle in real estate. So give yourself the time to be right. A lot of what happened in 2008 and 2009 is that people didn't understand There were a lot of people that lost their jobs. They just couldn't pay the mortgages. It was scary. But there were also a lot of people who 
could have just rented the place out because they couldn't make the mortgage, but they would have paid the mortgage and their rent and they could have moved somewhere else until their property recovered and they wouldn't have lost everything, right? So, so much of it is just about getting the information and making decisions about what's your exit strategy and what's your plan B. And that's really how I've built my wealth. I'm fairly conservative and I don't want to be fearful all the time. I, I have to step out of my comfort zone a lot, right? But now it's fun because I see the potential. I'm, my eyes are all about the potential rather than the fear. I love how you talked about the 10-year plan, but I do want to make a point to, on, to the listeners that we're talking about a 10-year real estate plan. Right. Because I know for myself in my business, which does not involve real estate, not that I have a business that involves real estate because I don't, but I don't look at any type of plan that's over six months. Yes. Or nine months tops. Mm -hmm. Because it's just not feasible for me. I mean, I have chronic idea disorder that just would not work because everything changes (laughs) from one day to the next, right? (laughs) Right. But when real estate is concerned, yes. But even going back to my six to nine month plan, I have to give myself grace and we have to do the same in real estate as well. Things just like you were just talking about with 2008, 2009, everything is not always going to go to plan. And for those of you whose plans do go as you intended more than 50% of the time, I want to know your secret. Because I would have to say that even in my six to nine month plans, no, it's greater than 50% when things change in the meantime. Yeah. And you know what? I do have chronic idea um, disorder also. (laughs) It's part of being an entrepreneur. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think that really, for me, one of the really intelligent moves that I made so long ago and how was I that wise at such a young age? I have no idea, but thank you, God, right? And thank you, Dad. But I wanted to have my business. And so this real estate thing was kind of a part-time back burner thing. But what it was, was the safety net for the future. So, so many of us that are in business we understand that there are things that are going to come up for us. We're going to have to pay for our children's education or not have to. We want to. We want to pay for our daughter's weddings. We may, you know, whatever it is, we want to retire in style by the time we're 40 rather than 60, right? There are things we want in our life. And so many business owners hope that their businesses will go well enough that they can handle those things when the time is needed. And the thing is that hope usually doesn't pay for those things. Planning does. Ooh, can and you say that again? Yes. Hope does not play does not pay for our future. Planning mm. does. Yeah. And so, yes, I had my businesses and I did all my ideas and things would change every three to six months. But there was always this thing that I knew that in the future, when it was time, this was going to take care of me. So, you know, I put in $10,000. Over 25 years, I put in a total of $149,000, right? But... I'm worth well over two, three, four million dollars now. So it can take care of it. And it didn't take a concerted effort. I only spend five to ten hours a month 
kind of watching over things. I've got the systems now to do that, right? To keep it joyful, to have it support the joy in my life rather than taking my time and energy and creating a huge amount of stress and taking away from the business that I'm truly most passionate about. So I totally get what you're saying. And I sort of, I tell my clients all the time, you know, there's now money now, which is the money to pay the bills. There's more money later. So these are the, our clients in the pipeline that are going to pay for our bills later, right? <laughs> and then there's me to deal with the business of life. And that's the money that I talk about. It's that you don't give it too much of your time and your energy, but it will be there for you when you need it. That's kind of how I see real estate. I can hear some people just shaking their heads, not understanding the math. Because you said that you have put $149,000 in? Mm-hmm. Or am I not hearing the whole picture? But you, maybe I'm just not understanding properly. You said 149000 and now you're worth two, three, four million. How does that math work? I know people are wondering, <laughs> how the heck? I want to know how to do that. Yeah, 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 right? So I bought my very first house for 5% down. And then when we went to go get the next house, even though I rented this out before I did, I got uh, um, I took money out of the that house to buy the next house. So I haven't actually had to take any more money out of the bank to purchase houses. However, when it was when I wanted to buy several at a time, I did taking out a little bit more money for that. And when I bought my primary residence that I currently live in, which is my dream home, I actually took out quite a bit of money then because um, the equity in the other place that I was moving away from did not have enough equity for the down payment where I'm living. This is actually a money philosophy, and there are a lot of people that don't agree with me on this. But I only have 50% of my assets in real estate. I like to keep a lot of liquid assets around so that when, excuse the term, but when the shit hits the fan, I have safety, right? Yeah, yeah. So I keep my real estate money in real estate and I keep my liquid assets, meaning stocks, mutual funds, those sorts of things. Um, I keep that liquid. So I try not to pull money out of my liquid assets to buy real estate. What that means is that it has been a slow journey for me. It's taken me 20 years where it might take someone else to but I admitted to the safety net for myself. And so I just haven't been willing to put in a lot of my own cash into it. So so it's taken me 20, right? Maybe that's not motivating to people. But it was motivating to me and it met the goals that were aligned with who I am and what I needed. Mm-hmm. Your real estate side of the business sounds very much similar. I mean, not the same exactly, but similar to how we actually run our whole lives because it's based on cash. And, and I'm not saying that equity is cash, I, but it's as similar as I can think right now. You're taking what you have and you're reinvesting. Exactly. In, in rather than accruing more debt, which I know that would be the scariest part to me. You know, how can I afford to take out another mortgage? And I'm not saying that you haven't, but you're using assets that you already have to fund future. That's so, right. 
That's right. And the numbers can be a little bit tricky, which is why you really want to hire a coach um, because you want to make sure that you're not making decisions that you don't really understand what the consequences are. But um, but yes, that's exactly how I how I operate is I take the equity from my real estate and buy more real estate. And I take the equity from my stock and I buy more stock. Um, and that's the way that I've sort of built things in a really safe you know, sort of, I'm, I'm the turtle, not the hare. <laughs> I can teach people how to be a bit more hairish, but, um, but I really am the turtle. It was slow. It was easy, blissful, you know, it, and it's, it's really served me. A bit more hairish sounds hairish. hysterical to me. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, 80s, right? I'm, I'm okay without being hairish. I'd rather be turtle. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> There's a tweetable people. Do you want to be hairish or turtleish? Turtleish, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I will I will totally go that route. Where can people find out more about you and your coaching and and you offer I I, I just want to hear more about how you work with people. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for asking that. And that has recently evolved. So I used to be a coach, like I said, at eleven years. I'm no longer coaching because my um, priorities have changed. My parents are elderly and I want to be able to have a more flexible time schedule. So now the way that I connect with people is I teach workshops and I have a mastermind. So really to kind of get to know who I am, the very first way to get in touch with me is to download my free report um, at blissfulinvestor.com. And that will take you from the $10,000 to the, you know, $2 million just on that track. So you can see exactly what I did and how I did it. You also get to know a little bit more about my philosophy about around real estate, the blissful way. So that's one way. And like I said, I work with people in a mastermind and in group coaching and through workshops. So that's how people can connect with me personally. Also, I have a podcast called the Real Estate Investing for Women podcast. And this is all about, so we talk about strategies, of course, but we also talk about mindset and heart set and money smarts and all of those things you need to know as women to be successful. So that's another option. I also have the book Choose Bliss, right, which we talked about earlier. That's available on Amazon. And of course, I'm on Facebook, Monika Sawyer, and Twitter and LinkedIn. So people can connect with me there too. Fabulous. And I know listeners, your minds are going crazy right now trying to keep up, but you can find <laughs> the links on the show notes page at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP338. I, I'm going to have to use that turtleish from here on out. <laughs> I look forward to turtleishly. Oh my gosh, I'm just making up crazy now. Um, but building my wealth in the future, you've inspired me because I, I really didn't see how it could work. But I'm getting a glimpse and I look forward to more discussions with you about it. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Kim. Yes, I would love that. And that's exactly what I wanted to hear is I want to inspire people to have a different, to take a different, a look at a different point of view, you know, look at the options and definitely get in touch with me. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners before we go? Absolutely. So always remember that bliss is your birthright. 
choose to claim it every single day. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Thank you.